V1. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Terrain. Terrain. Pull up. Terrain. Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Good morning, Todd. We're here for another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Uh, the third cog of the wheel is, is uh, unavailable today. So it's you and I. And uh, I have uh, I found a good accident that has a lot of elements in it that can be helpful to uh, people flying sophisticated airplanes. And this particular incident that we're covering today actually happened in Sweden and was investigated by the Swedish Accident Investigation Authority, their uh, version of the NTSB or the AAIB. And it's interesting from my perspective because this was an incident, not an accident. It was thoroughly investigated by the Swedish authorities. There was a fairly detailed write-up as to the sequence of events and what the outcome was and what steps they suggested to try and change these. Uh, it's unlikely that had this happened in the United States, it would have had the same sort of treatment simply because the NTSB has a different level of, uh, uh, well, they have a different set of criteria for whether or not they investigate something heavily. In this case, we had a very good investigation and we had some very good points to raise today. Yeah, I think most people, or most aviation people realize that the NTSB really only puts uh, typically one person on general aviation accidents and uh, commuter uh, accidents uh, or charter flights accidents. Uh, unlike the airline accidents, commercial accidents, where they would dispatch a, a full team. And of course, we haven't had any uh, major airline accidents in the U.S. for quite some time now. So I uh, often wonder how many of uh, those investigators have have uh, rusty skills, so to speak, because the skill set you use to investigate accidents is a perishable product. And if you're not using it, you, you're going to be, uh, I, I don't want to say negligent, but you're not going to be on the top of your game when it comes time to, to need those skills. And, so, and in this particular incident, uh, even if you had a very competent single investigator investing it, I don't think it would have been as useful because there were several things that had to be done with respect to this investigation in order to understand what had gone wrong. And in short, this was a 19, excuse me, 2016 event involving an RJ100 aircraft. Although this aircraft hasn't been manufactured since about 2001, and this aircraft is not in wide use around the world. This specific incident 
is not relevant with respect to the model of aircraft because the incident involved a high angle of attack stall sensor, which is common throughout the aviation industry. And even though it's not a relatively new airplane, this is a system which could be in some variation on every airliner that's out there and many of the higher end general aviation aircraft. Well, let's not forget that the, the two MAX accidents had their, uh, their origin started with a uh, small warning indication. Air France, out over the uh, South Atlantic or Mid-Atlantic, uh, the A330 or 340 that went in, uh, that started with stall warning and uh, failure to recognize it. So it's, I mean, we've had a long history of pilots stalling airplanes for a, a whole sundry of reasons uh, that has resulted in the loss of, of life in an aircraft. So this is not uh, an unusual event. What's unusual here is the level of detail that the Swedish went into. And, and this particular incident had something in common with the Air France event over the Atlantic, uh, the South Atlantic, in that the flight crew did not have uh, a visual on the horizon. In the case of uh, Air France, this was a nighttime event and there were clouds in the area. In the case of the Swedish event, it was shortly after takeoff and the aircraft had been in the clouds when they got a stick shaker warning, which is usually indicative of a, of a, a stall about to occur. Now, even though they did not have visual of the horizon, apparently, uh, the flight crew used the available information in the aircraft to realize that this was a false warning. And because of that, they were able to uh, push through it and, and land the aircraft. And the upshot of it was there was a replacement of the sensor on the aircraft. There were two sensors on the aircraft. One of them was replaced. There was a maintenance procedure that had to be performed on the aircraft and before it could be dispatched for flight. And this sensor consisted of two basic parts. One was an electronic sensor uh, with uh, electronic and mechanical parts in it. And the other was a, a vane on the outside of the aircraft that would indicate what the angle of attack was. There, was two, there were two separate maintenance procedures that had to be done after replacement. One, if you just replace the vane, was one set of testing. Two, if you replace the sensor, in this case, they replaced the sensor and the vane. There was another set of testing that had to be done. Yeah, interestingly, uh, when they when the maintenance people made their mistake, they uh, and they recognized it as being a very uh, test. It wasn't very robust. It was really just heating elements for the for the vane, and that is a direct result of what happened with Air France there was a, an additional focus put on making sure that the heating elements worked on, on both pedals, tubes, and on veins to prevent uh, ice accumulation from giving false readings uh, and worse. So to their credit, they did recognize that the test that they identified in the, in the maintenance manual was not correct or not robust enough. They went and did an additional step but it was only one additional step where there were several others that should have been accomplished at the same time. So what we have here is we have a mistake in the hangar uh, by maintenance personnel, 
we also have uh, involvement in this on the inspection department, second look. For those who don't know, in many jobs that are on uh, airplanes, if you do work on certain critical systems, it is uh, required or recommended, usually required, to have a second set of eyes come over when you're done or sometimes at a critical step uh, to take a look at what you've done and make sure that it was done properly. And we see many times where that's not accomplished in a meaningful way. And we have that here in this case where uh, the, they're, they're a little vague in their wording in the report, but it either was not accomplished or was not accomplished properly and allowed this this mistake to continue on in the flight to, to leave. And there's, there's a number of issues, other issues involved in, in the maintenance department that they were interrupted multiple times, according to the report, multiple times by people wanting to know when's the ready. And I've, I've lived through that myself uh, long before we started to restrict the customer service agents and the baggage loading people and the rest of us from coming directly to the people working on the airplane to try to get information. And uh, it took a while to make that, that, that change stick, so to speak, where they wouldn't come to the airplane, but they would call uh, the lead, the supervisor, and to get the information. Because that interrupted work, we know from the human factor side, that interrupted work is just a, a ticking time bomb for people making mistakes. And it very well have played a role here. It's not identified, but it easily could have because they do mention there was a considerable number of interruptions. So in a job that's only uh, an hour long, maybe not even an hour long, to have multiple interruptions could conceivably cause you to, to skip a step. And in this case, the key thing wasn't, um, well, there might have been steps skipped. And certainly there were interruptions to the flow of uh, the maintenance process. But the key thing was there was a specific maintenance procedure to be done after the sensor was installed. That wasn't done. Instead, a separate procedure dealing with only a reinstallation of the vane was done. Apparently, this was a system where you have a vane, you have a sensor, you can do the vane replacement alone, or you can do the whole system. The whole system was replaced. They had to do a test on the whole system. The whole, the whole system was not tested. There was an, an, an issue with the system that was discovered afterwards that prevented it from operating correctly. And by the way, because this was an event where the airplane landed totally intact, you had uh, witnesses, the flight crew, being able to say what happened. There was a fairly complete picture of what happened to this aircraft. The system in question was removed and looked at by the manufacturer. They had a very detailed um, analysis of it. They knew exactly what happened. Had this resulted in, let's say, uh, an event where the aircraft was destroyed, the system was heavily damaged, and the flight crew wasn't available to give evidence as to what happened, it might have been very difficult, perhaps even impossible, to uncover the fairly small error that was happening in the system itself. They might have been able to discover the workflow prior to the event, and they might have discovered that, oh, the system should have been checked, and it wasn't. Perhaps the system was at fault here. Well, fortunately, this was a case where the aircraft was intact, all the players were intact, they had a full picture of it, 
and had a fairly complete analysis and report about this event. Well, you, you know, as a maintenance person, I would I would take that from the, the point of the problem and walk it backwards. And uh, we've done that with the flight crew identifying that they had a stick shaker, even though they missed one step and the, the stick push came on, they took the proper corrective action in that case and got the airplane turned around and landed. Right? But now when you look at the mistakes that the mechanics made in not testing the system, it's not clear in the accident report if this fault, uh, this unit that had the fault in it, had that test accomplished on it, would it have passed? You know, that's, that was a big if in there. Uh, it likely passed the manufacturer, the repair station's own process to check out this unit after it was overhauled. This was not a brand new unit. It, it uh, doesn't clearly identify that, but it does identify a repair facility. So I, I have to make an assumption, and we know that that's not always the best thing to do. <laughs> but it does appear that it was th this unit was a repaired unit, not a brand new unit. And uh, so the, the uh, repair facility would run it through a test at the end to make sure that everything was uh, operating according to procedures. So it's not clear if that was done, if that was a problem. And the defect that was inside, could that have been masked? Uh, during installation and during testing that uh, led this to be left on the airplane and the airplane to continue. So there's some unanswered questions there, but they really did, they being the Swedish accident investigation folks, they really did a good job of taking a look at this and digging down to get the detail. Because as you said, and I think I also implied that it would be unlikely that the NTSB would have found this. And this is a, because of lack of investigative skills, but because of lack of resources on the part of one or two people. Uh, if they decided to, to send somebody out to, as an investigator for this regional aircraft, no fatals, it would likely be a one-person investigation, and it would be likely that that person was a pilot. And to that end, would he have understood the problem? Would he just taken it to the say? Oh, maintenance made a mistake in, in changing the unit because they didn't check it out and just leave it right there. Uh, fortunately, the, the Swedish authorities didn't do that, and they dug back down in and said, you know what, if this unit left the facility, whether it was new, new construction or, or rebuilt, it left the facility, and it was not in an airworthy condition, and therefore putting the repair stations and manufacturers on notice that they need to clean up their procedures, make sure they have the proper trained personnel. There's a whole bunch of pieces to it. But the bottom line is that this kind of detail can prevent events in the future. And if, if you, we're going to post the pictures that are in the, in the report on the, on the YouTube channel. And if you look at it, you'll, you'll see the flight, the, the pilots uh, uh, can't really be faulted in this even though they made a mistake, they did a good job of getting the airplane turned around back to the airport. Uh, very systematic approach to the problems. So it, it was good. It bodes well for their training and for their own personal skills. And this investigation also uh, 
brings up two things to, to note. One of them is the level of redundancy that exists throughout aviation with respect to procedures, both on the ground and in the air. And the other is a set of lessons that could be uh, taken to heart by general aviation pilots everywhere. The first part, as you pointed out, John, there was likely a process at the repair station that wasn't followed because the device was not um, fully operational. There was a process when it came to the maintenance professional replacing the sensor that wasn't followed, that had it been followed, would have probably found, may have found the error with the sensor. Then there were procedures in the cockpit that happened after the stick shaker activated where they didn't execute the procedure 100% correctly. But at the end of the day, the airplane landed, everyone walked away. So this level of redundancy isn't accidental. This is something that has built up, been built up over decades of experience. And the fact that every level of the aviation system, there are processes and procedures in place to prevent bad things from happening. The other lesson is for your average and even above average uh, general aviation pilot. You might have a very sophisticated aircraft with multiple systems that can give you all kinds of information. Any one of them could fail individually or you could have an across the board failure of several systems at once. If you're in a situation where you're flying the aircraft, you have to continue to aviate. You have to continue to fly the airplane, even if some systems are clearly malfunctioning or you suspect them to be malfunctioning. So whatever procedures you have for making sure the aircraft is at the proper altitude, attitude, airspeed, et cetera, be ready to make sure the airplane stays in the proper attitude, altitude, et cetera, no matter what happens to the airplane. So don't rest on your laurels. Yes. And remember, the accidents are really a chain, a chain of mishaps along the way. So in this case, the chain started at the repair facility or the manufacturer's facility where the unit was assembled wrong. It was put on the airplane and the, the wrong tests were performed on the unit. And, it, and again, it's not clear to us whether or not if they did the, the full test, would the defect have shown up? And then it's installed on the airplane and away they go. Now, if those of you who have listened to the uh, our reports and other reports on the MAX, the MAX had a single vein, single angle of attack uh, transducer. And they were criticized widely for not having two. This airplane, and it was interesting to note in reading how the system worked, that it said that if you had that one failure, it wouldn't activate all these systems unless the other vein was having a similar failure or moving rapidly. And so after they corrected this, the, the uh, stick shaker event right after takeoff, after the, the flight crew corrected that, the stick shaker came on just, just a minute or two later. And the reason why that was able to activate was because the the good side, whatever it was, uh, vein system uh, was moving rapidly. So they, when they entered the clouds, I had to assume the way it was written that the airplane started to to uh, shake, rattle, and roll enough that the the guide vein uh, flooded, moved quickly, and that, that and then that activated the system for the stick shaker. 
So you can see the chain of events here. Mistake in the manufacturing facility, mistake in installation. Uh, the airplane takes off. The pilots make a corrective action. But now because of uh, events that they can't control, nobody could control, the system believes that it, that it has two, two guide vanes giving us information that, that uh, the airplane is going to stall and it activates the system, which pushes the stick over to help the pilots remember that they got to get their airspeed up. And this uh, brings to mind a famous uh, quote from President Ronald Reagan about uh, dealing with the Soviet Union back during the Cold War, trust but verify. Similar sort of philosophy exists in the aircraft. You have systems on the aircraft that are very sophisticated, designed to do certain things at certain times. Just because it says something has happened, is happening, doesn't mean you completely and absolutely trust it if you have other information to verify what's going on, if you have your own experiences that helps you verify what's going on, if you have the time and the presence of mind to make sure that you're taking in all the available information to make the best aeronautical decision you can while you're flying that aircraft. Yes, and you actually raise an an interesting point in all of that is pilots have to stay in the game. I've flown in a million cockpits on jump seat, you know, and after takeoff, after you get up to altitude, everybody sort of relaxes and uh, your head's not really in the game as much anymore. The pilot flying has a responsibility for that. Um, but the other pilot in the cockpit, whether it's a two or three man crew, they sort of have it done pretty easy at that point in time. They're not fully engaged. And you know what? You need to be fully engaged. When I used to fly with my friends, and of course that was GA, uh, and I have a strong interest in flying. So you would be just like an additional pilot all the time. You would be, you would be with them every step of the way. And well, it's not like that on airliners. And sometimes you can get caught. You hear them talking about uh, uh, the startle factor that was used in, in the defense of the of both the Ethiopian and, and the Lion Air Malaysian crew, that they were startled by the engagement of the MCAS system, which I never really believed yet. Yeah, there would be a, a sense where you would be startled. But if you understood how your airplane worked, you would quickly get into the game. Uh, so, you know, it's complicated. It's complicated. And as a pilot, you've got to stay engaged from, from before you get in the airplane until you get out of the airplane. You've got to be engaged in the skill and the art of flying. And it, it covers a broad range of tasks and knowledge. Well, here's the uh, point in the episode where Greg usually says, well, Todd, it's time for you to have the second to the last word. So I'll uh, do my imitation of Greg and say, hey, Todd, what do you have to say about this? And here's what I have to say about it. Um, one of the things that I talk about all the time is that there's a lot of information about aviation, aviation safety and accident investigation. And of course, on this show, we're constantly talking about the FAA's incident system, the NTSB's accident uh, database and other U.S. sort of sources. There are investigative authorities all over the world who have very good reports, very good insights on accidents and incidents. And Sweden is one of them. Uh, like a lot of the countries, they have the reports in English, so you shouldn't have a problem reading them. So 
if you see an event happening in some part of the world and you think, well, gee, I want to find out more about this. How do they investigate this accident? What does it have to do with what I'm doing here? I recommend that you go do so. Uh, my two favorite countries for that, uh, for our U.S. audience, are going to be uh, the United Kingdom and Canada because they have extensive accident investigation organizations, an extensive online database of incidents and accidents. So if you hear of something happening in those two countries, rest assured, you're probably going to be able to see something very good with respect to an accident or incident report from those two countries' uh, um, versions of the NTSB. Yes. Now, information is important in preventing accidents. And uh, to that end, in my final word, I will still keep to the one, although my, my horizon is expanding as I look at more and more accidents. And, I, and I've been saying this a while. I just wrote an article for one of the business aviation publications that uh, smoke in the cockpit or in the airplane, cockpit or cabin, uh, there's just too many of them. Um, there, there were times this year that there was a couple of week someplace in the aviation. You know what? I don't know what they did with them. I'm a firm believer when there's smoke, there's fire. And you better go find it and not just go up in the airplane. Well, I don't smell smoke now. It's okay to go. They need to do something. But in an area that more of us can control, I will do what I always do. If you're going to, if you're a general aviation pilot and you're going to go fly an airplane, do pre-planning session before you even get to the airport. When you get to the airport, do it all over again. Make sure you check the weather here, there, and everything in between. When you get out to your airplane, do a good pre-flight. I was very impressed recently with a video that came out of one of these, one flight school and how they uh, really emphasize with their students doing a good pre-flight on their airplanes. And they're touching the airplane. And I've been saying this for a while. Touch your airplane. It makes a difference in how you look at something. And sometimes you can feel something that's a little loose that uh, maybe you question and get somebody to take a look at it. But in any event, do a very thorough pre-flight, and that includes inside the cockpit, your instruments, all what you're going to check, you know, Fuel, we still run too many airplanes out of fuel in this country. Accidents in, involving fuel starvation, that's that, that particular bullet point on the, on the stats is alive and well. So pay attention to that. After you get in the air, put that head of yours on a swivel because the other thing we're seeing more of recently is collisions. Mid-air collisions right around the airport. Could be because of student pilots. Uh, who knows? Who knows? And just, just last night, I was notified of, a, of an accident that killed three people, general aviation accident. The person who was the instructor pilot was a recent recipient of the, the Barber Safety Award, which I serve on the board of that award committee. And that, that was really a, a, a tough phone call to get somebody that has, had demonstrated safety, but yet got caught up in it in, in a fatal crash. So she was giving instruction to two students. Maybe there was distraction. I don't know. There's nothing. It's brand new. It's fresh. So 
I will be watching that down the road. But you've got to have that head on a swivel. Right? You've got to know what's around you, especially at the airport. Please, please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives and remember to always fly safe. Pizzas, a Goodfellas stone-baked pepperoni pizza costing £3 at Tesco, and Aldi's Witch Best by Carlos stone-baked pepperoni pizza costing just one thirty-nine. So where can you save over 50% on your pizza? Can't top that. Time's up. You're right. Aldi's the answer. So come on down to Aldi, which cheapest supermarket of the year. Other supermarkets may sell own brand products at different prices. For full details, see aldi.co.uk forward slash swap.